Hey, and welcome to the Lenses Podcast, where we discuss all things as it relates to seeing the world the way God sees it, seeing the world through the lens of God's story. Uh, my name is Tony Simoncini, and I'm the pastor at Missio Dei Community in South Jordan. And I'm Dustin Hex, and I'm the worship pastor at Missio. And so today we, um, we want to continue on in our conversations around uh, politics and religion, you know, the two things you're never supposed to talk about. And uh, it's become such a big thing in our culture uh, and in our world. And of course, over the last six months, uh, pre-election, during the election, post-election, pre-inauguration, post-inauguration, like politics is really in our face 24-7. And so we want to take a look at a lot of different things that have been happening in uh, our political realm and just ask uh, how do we see this through the lens of God's story? And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the um, the storming of the Capitol and kind of how all that came to be. And one of my thoughts, uh, Dustin, on the whole thing was like, uh, of course, in inciting violence or inciting a riot was was thrown around a lot. And then one of my my thoughts that I had was, was this inciting, you know, or was this the echo chamber gone bad? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a fair question for sure. I, I, um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me, uh, in, in this whole conversation is, um, really like to me, it's almost a question of, uh, of passion. You know, you talk about the, the, like the word in sight, um, and, you know, the thing that was, was often stated was that there were certain people, including the president, who, um, who incited the, the riot. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no doubt that there was plenty of language from a lot of different places that, that would stir up the passions in certain people. Mm -hmm. Um, and you mentioned the, the echo chamber and, you know, um, I mean, an echo chamber can be a beneficial thing in certain instances. But I think what happens often in echo chambers is that um, even, even when there are, even in echo chambers, there are differences of opinions, right? Mm -hmm. But what generally happens is um, the opinions that are most passionate or the opinions that are loudest end up being the ones that are run with. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, um, I think what we have in a lot of different instances, but specifically looking at the instance of the Capitol riot, um, is you have uh, you have a certain group of people who were um, who exist in an echo chamber already, um, but who and who might even be the the minority in terms of like you know we believe this certain thing, whether it's conspiracy theories or, or what have you. They, they might even be the minority in that, but because of their passionate stance on this thing, they end up stirring up a whole group of people within this echo chamber, um, you know, and, and we can, <laughs> there's certainly blame to be placed, but um, the, you know, the, I think the, I think what really happens and what really we can look at and we can, we can kind of take out and apply to different situations is this idea of a misdirected passion. Hmm. Um, and, and when I say misdirected, I think what, what, really, uh, what really strikes me is, you know, misdirected passion tends to be when we put our, our passion toward the things we're against rather than the things we're for. Right. 
Yeah, you know, and whenever we had this conversation around uh, echo chambers, and I started thinking about this particular one, and and all of the people who on the left were pointing fingers at the right when the Capitol insurrection thing happened, and then then six months ago you had all the people on the right pointing to everybody on the left when there was riots and things going on in the whole Black Lives Matter movement, and so it just it I I, I agree with you that there's this kind of passion and loudness and and maybe even volume in terms of level, but also an amount of content, right, that's put out. Mm. And, and so I, I think that in both sides, you can see how the, the loudest and the, the most passionate and then the most voluminous and then even the people that put out the most content uh, or the most popular content, I guess, the stuff that was seen on both sides, uh, I think contributed to the problem. And, and, and then I love how you frame it as it's not, it's not just that it was said, but it was that rather than, rather than being, um, said like what they, what they're for and what they want to happen in a positive way, that there is this thing of what or whom or, or what they're against and what you're against all of a sudden becomes this kind of battle cry. And as it becomes this battle cry, like anything that we're against can be way more, um, passion stirring and maybe those who aren't as passionate i personally can relate to passion and volume <laughs> like like that's i'm a very passionate person it's just kind of who i am and so most things i do with passion i coach with passion i pastor and i teach and i preach with passion i watch my kids basketball games with passion you know <laughs> and, and so it's just who i am and at the same time like the older i get the more i realize not only is not everybody as passionate as I am, but that passion doesn't give me the right to be uh, wrong, but at least I'm passionate about it, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, one of the things that I think would be really helpful, because again, how, do, how does God see this, right? And one of the things that for, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago that became a popular conversation was that Christians were often known for what they're against rather than what they're for. And so I'd love to have a conversation around like what, what does it look like for us as believers, right? Uh, and you know, you and I know lots of people and lots of Christians, and you and in those groups of people, you and I know lots of people that sit kind of on both sides of the political spectrum, right? And so, what does it look like for Christians, no matter where they fall, quote unquote, politically? What does it look like for Christians to to kind of take the mantle of Rather than being known what for what we're against, but to be known for what we're for. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that that kind of um, that phrase kind of became cliche mm. in a way. Yeah. But I think it's it's so big and important in terms of you know what has been come to what has come to be known as the culture wars or whatever. I, I think this, this question is so important is, you know, um, how do we as Christians or, or should we as Christians be known more, uh, by what we're for than what we're against. And, you know, I like, it's so wrapped up in this conversation of what we're passionate about. I mean, um, I've been saying this for a long time in terms of the quote unquote culture wars is like, um, you see people so often who are so passionate about, um, you know, what the, uh, what the non-Christian culture, um, is like what, uh, how, how we should be against the non-Christian culture. Like, mm. um, like here are. Uh, here are the things that the non-Christian culture is for. Um, and, you know, I don't need to list those off. You, you can, you know, you've heard these conversations, you know what these are about. Sure. Um, and so, uh, so Christians so often are, are so passionate about, like, we can't let these things take over our culture. We are against these things. We are against this. We are against that. And, and you, you hear so much passion involved in that mm -hmm. conversation. But when is the last time you heard a passionate, um, a passionate, let's just say sermon, a passionate sermon 
about loving your enemies? When's the last time you heard a passionate sermon about we as Christians are called to love our enemies? For me, man, it's, I mean, I, I almost never in my entire life of being in church have heard a passionate sermon about what it looks like to love our enemies. Well, it's hard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But Jesus talked yeah. so much more about that than about being against the things that the, um, you know, the, the Gentile culture of his day were for like he didn't jesus didn't rant and rave about the the dangers of roman culture like the things that jesus was passionate about and the people he was passionate against were the religious people of the day the the pharisees like anytime he was passionately against something it was that right but if you look at the passion in the sermon on the mount like those were things that the kingdom is for right? Mm -hmm. Here are the things that the kingdom is for. And he spoke with passion about those things. And those things were often things that we never even talk about today, you know, enemy love and neighbor love and, you know, like love for the oppressed and, you know, justice and all these things. Like we, we just don't, it just feels like the things that we are passionately against are far more you know, uh, in your face and far more upfront than the things that we are passionately for. Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of the book um, that came out probably 20 years ago uh, called Unchristian. Uh, and it was Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinneman and that comes out of the whole Barna research. Mm-hmm. And you know, basically their premise in the book was that Christianity has an image problem. And that as they did research, that people didn't say Christians are known more for what they're against and what they're for. But when you said, hey, when you think of a Christian, what do you think of? And they would say things like judgmental, anti-homosexual, um, uh, anti-democrat. So, and so they, would, they would use these anti-words. So even just the way the culture saw non-Christians saw Christians is they would always use the word anti before it. And so that was kind of like alarming to them as they're Christians doing this research. And so the, the, the premise of the book is to say, here's the data, here's the research, here's what non-Christians are saying when they think of Christians. Mm-hmm. The church should care about that, and so therefore the, sh- the church should then shift their focus to the things they're for, rather than the things they're against. Um, and so, in other words, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a you're wrong for thinking any of these things from the community that was trying to help. It was more of, you know, your view on homosexuality is not that you're for people, but that you're actually against them, mm. right? Your view of politics, how you're viewed within the political realm, isn't just that you are into politics, it's that you're against the, a whole group of people mm. that are also into politics. Mm. Um, and, and so then the kind of judgmental thing. And, um, and, you know, we've had lots of conversations about judgment and whether or not judgment's good or bad, that we make judgments every day and, and we make judgments every day that are right and wrong and all that good stuff. Uh, and since that's not what we're talking about, um, I do think it's important to talk about like what, how, how does the church kind of solve the image problem that clearly hasn't gone away? Yeah. And how do we become people who are more like for people? And so one of my thoughts on this was, just the way Jesus interacted with the people that, as you said, he was passionately against. So for instance, the Pharisees were people that he spoke passionately against the way they operated, the way they treated people, the way they talked to people, the way they practiced their religion, and then really hurt people in the practice of their religion. Um, and, And he always had really harsh things to say about a whole group of people, right? And yet, throughout Scripture, you see times where... Jesus is actually interacting with the Pharisees, a particular Pharisee, in a way that is not, I'm against you, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually for you. I I don't like what your whole group stands for, but yeah, Nicodemus, let's have a conversation around how someone gets to the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And and even Nicodemus walks away from that in John chapter 3, super confused, I think, and still not really (laughs) sure what Jesus is trying to get at. And yet Jesus doesn't mock him. He doesn't blast him he doesn't say it's because you're a religious idiot you know he doesn't say any of that stuff he literally has a conversation with someone 
Um, and as most commentators would point out, at night, therefore, Nicodemus was trying to like sneak it past everybody else, right? And, and so they have this conversation around what it, how, do you, how do you actually enter the kingdom of heaven? And in Jesus' answer, you know, in terms of enemies of the kingdom, certainly Caesar would be one of the enemies of the kingdom, but Jesus clearly talked about how the religious people, and specifically the Pharisees, were often enemies of the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. And so here's a group of people, a guy who's a part of a group of people that are, that are antithetical to the kingdom and that are getting told a lot that they're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And yet Nicodemus comes to him and Jesus receives him because Jesus is for him, yeah. right? He may not be for the agenda of his pals. He may not be for the agenda of the whole or the bunch or the group. Um, and, and I think we're reading way too much into Scripture as like, oh, well, since Jesus is God, he's smart, knows exactly. He knows Nicodemus' heart, and that's why he doesn't pounce on him. I, I think that the evidence in the record is clear that when Jesus is interacting with people, whether he agrees with them or not, what you see is a, is a man, and i.e. our God, who is for mm -hmm. everyone, mm -hmm. no matter the situation. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, in terms of, of how this kind of conversation can relate to like the capital insurrection and, um, and really like it, it can, you know, it, it's fair. I think, I mean, you brought up, you know, the, the riots over the summer and, um, I mean, I think this conversation can be, can speak into both of those situations. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the, the capital insurrection, um, like, then I saw, you know, tons of people posting, you know, pictures and videos and saying, oh, no, it's not what the media is painting. Like, this is, this is what it's like. It's peaceful. We're just here for, for this or that or whatever. And, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the majority of people uh, were in that boat. I, I think you can, I think you're allowed to you know, to look at that and say, okay, well, I believe the majority of people were there for the right reason or, you know, quote unquote, right reasons or for were, sure. were there for, to peacefully protest. Or I would think the evidence on both sides of the summer riots and the stuff that happened recently with the capital stuff. I think, I think the, I think the proof is that most people were there doing it in the quote unquote, the right way. Right. So, so, I mean, look at the situation, right? You have, um, you have a, a, a large group of people who are there saying essentially like we believe that voter fraud happened um, wherever you land on that that's what these people were there saying right we believe voter fraud happened and we want we're here because we want to see voter reform mm -hmm. so what they were for right and yet you have this other group of people who spent time in this same echo chamber who essentially like you know added some conspiracy theories on top of all this stuff, um, not necessarily disputed by very important people, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and, and they ended up being the ones who, you know, who essentially said, no, like this isn't even about just voter fraud in this situation. This is more about we are so against the other side mm. because they are evil and whatever and whatever and whatever that we're now going to you know, take over this whole situation and we're going to come in and we're going to, I mean, there were plenty of threats, nothing, thankfully nothing, you know, completely terrible happened in terms of like, you know, a, a, a full on insurrection, but you know, I mean, people died like, mm -hmm. so terrible things happened, but, um, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't as, as terrible as it could have been considering some of the threats of like, Hey, we're going to take this, this situation over, you mm -hmm. know, um, and wipe out the people who we are against, which is essentially what, right. you know, what, what that insurrection was about. Um, and you know, with, with the, the riots over the summer, um, same kind of thing, right? Like, uh, there were people, there were the majority of people said, you know, a, a situation happened, um, where we believe, uh, you know, um, we believe racial injustice was the fuel behind it. And, and people gathered and they said, we're, we're going to stand 
up for racial justice. We want to see racial justice. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, justice is a biblical concept. There were people that were there for justice. Um, and yet there's this whole other group of people, not nearly as large, the minority, but the passionate minority, mm-hmm. who said, no, we are, you know, we're against, we're against the system. I mean, you know, whatever you think about, like, how, how, to what extent Antifa was involved or whatever, in the name, it's anti-fascists, right? Like, right. this is what we are against. Um, and, and that passion led to, you know, riots and, and people being hurt, people, people being, being hurt, killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I think just those, those situations are so similar, but I think we can look at it and, and determine that really the, the, the fuel behind the violence was the passion about what people are against. Mm. Instead yeah. of, like, and man, I just can't, I can't get over the fact that most people can get behind what you are for. Mm-hmm. Like most people can say, like almost everyone, aside from, you know, actual racists can look at, <laughs> right. can look at uh, the, like someone who says I'm for racial justice and say, yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I completely agree with that. Right. Most people can look at like, you know, I'm I'm for voter reform, mm-hmm. and you know, regardless of of how uh, uh, to what extent you think that actually happens, sure. most people would say yes. We want voting to be fair. Right. Almost everyone would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, like the loudest, passionate voices are the ones that like this is what we're against, and those are the ones that that fuel the fire of division. Just a bunch of troublemakers. Yeah. Like they fuel the fire of, well, like I'm not going to be on that side. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to be, and it's just this back and forth of, well, no, we're against each other instead of like, Hey, can we agree on something that we're for? Yeah. It's funny because we can, we could keep talking about this all day. And I think there's motivation in what you're saying for people that are the most passionate or the loudest voices. And I firmly believe that most of it comes uh, under the guise, whether they know it or not. I think they do, but I think some may not. But I think it really boils down to they're trying to get as much power as possible. Yeah. And so it really boils down to if I can get more people on my side to think like me, I will become or our side will become or our way will become more powerful. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening is you'll do that at any cost, mm-hmm. right? And so, so to me, that's like the underlying issue is about power. Uh, but... I had this thought, man, and we were, you know, thinking through like, what does God think about insurrection, rioting? Um, And the truth is we have really the most famous riot ever um, happens in scripture, right? We have Jesus who comes before Pilate and comes before the, the Sanhedrin, comes before he gets... He gets judged, found guilty. They bring before Pilate. They want Pilate to do something about it. Pilate tries everything he can to get out of having to do anything. But basically what Pilate says is, and, and even the people that are that are talking to Pilate, they're like, like, dude, there's a riot about to happen if you don't do something. Like there are so many people demanding this if we don't do something. And, and so it's almost like Pilate goes against his like conscience because of this crowd that's formed outside of his his you know vestibule and he ultimately says okay let's let's go ahead and crucify your king because of a riot because as you said the voice of a few all of a sudden everyone kind of gets caught up in it right mm. and as everybody gets caught up in it Pilate more or less just gives in and says okay we'll crucify him so they're literally you know and I don't know, maybe Pilate all along is hoping, hoping at some point we won't have to go through with this because Pilate believes him, him to be an innocent man, right? Mm. But Pilate's literally willing to go against his conscience just to protect his own butt, really, mm. and, and to try and like make the riot not happen. But it's already happened. The rioting has already caused people to go against what they think. My suspicion is that if there's, I don't know, 500 people sitting there 
not all 500 people were like crucify him, right. right? There were people in that crowd who Jesus had probably touched, healed, maybe, um, that he had that he had loved, that he had fed. I mean, who knows the type of people that were in this crowd that had had some positive impact with Jesus, right? That probably didn't show up going crucifying, but at some point they just kind of found themselves wrapped up in the crowd, right? And yeah. And the crazy thing is we want to know what God thinks, right? What does God think? Well, Jesus tells us what God thinks because he gets, he goes through the torture, he gets put on the cross, and he says the thing that no person could even fathom that a human being would say, let alone the God of the universe who is completely innocent. And here this guy is on a cross, and what he says, his prayer is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm. This is the voice of a, of a God who is for every single person who's literally been the reason why he's crucified. Mm. Every rioter, every person, every, every, like as you said, people with, with the misplaced passion, the people that have used their power and their influence and their volume to get people to do whatever they wanted them to do, right? That have manipulated the whole thing. Like, you name it, every evil thing has happened in this moment. But because Jesus is for them, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A couple of a couple of songs um, pop pop into my head in terms of of this conversation. Um, you know, music is is always kind of uh, uh, when I when I hear like the my my thoughts and feelings put to to song lyrics that that always like connects to me more than almost anything else. So a couple of songs pop into my head in terms of this, and uh, one of them. Um, not a very well-known song, but it should be. So, so look it up after this. It's a song called Citizens um, by John Guerra. And uh, there's a, a, a section of it that is, uh, it's, it's really pointed, um, but try to look past the pointedness because it really, uh, I think it's a kind of a universal truth. But um, he says, There's a wolf who is ranting. All of the sheep, they are clapping, promising power and protection claiming the Christ who was killed. Now that's pointing to, you know, the American political system is really what he's doing there. Um, but then he says, uh, then he says, killed by a common consensus, everyone screaming Barabbas, trading their God for a hero, forfeiting heaven for Rome. Mm. So he uses that exact scenario mm. and in the same way you're using it. Like, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. This is what we're doing with, our religion, when we mix it with this American political system, when we fuse it together, what we're doing is exactly what the crowd did to, to Jesus. And we're saying, no, like, we can have power and protection. Like, this person offers us something right here and now that we feel like our God's not offering us, so we want that instead. Mm. We want Barabbas instead, right? Um, and, you know, like, schol most scholars would say that Barabbas was... An insurrectionist, mm -hmm. like he was a. That's why he was there. Yeah, that's exactly why he was there. Like he right. was this guy who, who was probably a zealot in terms of like you know fighting against Rome for the sake of, um, of Israel, and so, I mean, it's just such a poignant lyric, and um, and then the other one that <laughs> that comes to mind. We can't have a podcast without, without propaganda. referencing propaganda, right? But. Um, yeah, it's a new song, a uh, relatively new song by King's Kaleidoscope featuring propaganda. And it starts off, you've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, co-opted and run amok, sold your white Jesus to prop your empire up, bought the binary, rendered unto Caesar, all because your cathedrals needed more cedar. And it goes on and on and on. But uh, that first line, I think, is is key, right? You've been hoodwinked, bamboozled. Like... And I think the reason that Jesus says in that moment, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what he's telling them. Like, mm -hmm. you've been hoodwinked, bamboo, like you've been fooled. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily your fault. 
Like the system has fooled you. Mm -hmm. You've traded what I have offered you for power and influence and all these other things. Like you've, you've been hoodwinked, Mm -hmm. like you've been tricked and you've, I mean, you've been deceived, right? Right. And who is the deceiver, right? It's all evil. It's all bad. Exactly. And and I, I think I, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 super important that you brought that up of what Jesus says in that moment of father forgive them for they know not what they do because what what he's saying is you've been deceived by the deceiver and and he's he's not shutting the door on people he's not saying all right you're done now he's saying father please forgive them mm-hmm. you know it's funny you bring all that up um because i had this thought and and for for 3 months if you've paid any attention to, to pundits and, and kind of political talk, whether it be from politicians or whether it be from, from the media, um, I heard repeatedly things like, the American people have spoken, right? And, and I just find it funny because talk about deception. Like... There was a whole group of people four years ago who were like, see, this is what America wants. America has spoken. And now the complete opposite side of the group of people who were mad at what America was going to become are now saying the American people have spoken, right? And the irony of that statement is that it's pretty clear over the last 30 some odd years that the American people are split pretty much 50-50, right? And so it's just sad that those in power get to say things like the Amer- American people have spoken and literally shut out or neglect ultimately half of the country. Mm. And, and I think it's clear from, from voting and from everything else that that's what's happening when they make claims like the American people have spoken. And I think, I think what's unfortunate on both sides is that there are a group of people hurting like and legitimately, like they legitimately have have a belief and a desire for America or for our country to be a certain way, mm-hmm. and so there's there's legit like mourning, right? Like this is hurting me, and and so like right now you can say uh, anyone who who is a who is a a pro life, I I I cannot stand the thought of abortion. Like I know lots of people who are really good human beings and who are not like politically aligned in any crazy way. And they're like mourning right now because their fears are that, that the thing that they feel like really breaks God's heart is, is going to happen. And they're legitimately like, and yet we have a whole group of people going up. Oh, the American people have spoken. And since you've spoken, we're going to do all this stuff. Right. And again, it happened four years ago on the other side to where we, we just get to the point where we're so, we're so against a whole group of people that we don't even see their pain or care mm. rather than actually admit, like, I get that my kind of side, if you will, causes pain to you. Mm. Why can't we do that? In the, in the line that propaganda uses, he says, we've, we've basically bought the binary. Mm. Like, we've, we've basically bought the, this system that says there's only two ways to think. Yeah. And you have to pick one. Yeah. And that thing has actually—it's actually the problem, right? This, this—you can only think this way, and that's part of the deception, mm. right? That's part of being bamboozled. That's part of the whole, like you know, thoughts and ideas of the kingdom of God were co-opted in a way that made you basically say, "Well, I'm over here." And literally, again, even within Christian circles, mm. there's a whole group of people that say, "If you're a kingdom Christian, you ha- can only think this way," mm-hmm. right? And it's, it blows my mind because at that point then we, all of a sudden we're so, it's not about what we're for. It's really more about who we're against. And even if they're Christians, that's what's crazy. And to me, that's the stuff like, that's one of the many things I believe that breaks the heart of Jesus, right? And kind of circling back to the unchristian book. I'm, I'm convinced that Part of the the frustration with the Pharisees that Jesus had and all these other things wasn't just simply because they were telling people to do the wrong things. Because in reality, what did he say? Hey, listen to what they say. Mm-hmm. Just don't don't follow after what they're doing because they're 
they're not doing the right things. Mm -hmm. But the stuff they're teaching is mostly good. I mean, it's right. mostly they're just teaching what the word says, right? So, so it, but it was more about what they're creating in the people that they're actually leading. Mm -hmm. And then not just that, but then that all of a sudden became very unattractive to the very people they're supposed to be for and, and witnessing to and reaching out to, right? Yeah. And I just believe that's part of the, the, the heartache of Jesus today is like, when are we going to become a church that's attractive mm -hmm. and that people go, like, I don't know that I agree with everything or that's even hard, but like, man, there's something about that that draws me yeah. to who you are and what you're saying. And, and I think that alone is one of the things that Jesus is like, we've got to get back there. And man, we're never, the Christians are never going to get there if you're sitting there on the right saying, see, you guys are a bunch of, and just anti, anti. And if you're a Christian on the left and you're saying, see, you guys are just an anti, anti. Like nobody is going, oh, you guys are Christians? Give me some of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the next the next lyric, the next line in the song is sold love of neighbor for a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. um, God, I mean, like how, how accurate of a picture is that? <laughs> like <laughs> we, we want so much to be in control and in power and have a seat at the table and have a voice to the people in power that we've sacrificed loving our neighbor for it. I mean, just like you've said, like we'd rather point our fingers at our neighbor and say, no, God is against the things that you're for, rather than saying, yeah, maybe he is, but I'm still for you. You, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't have to be, I don't have to be in, in alignment with what's the best way to carry out something politically to be for people, Yeah. right? And, and again, the, the words on the cross, I mean, there's never been... I, I don't know that I ever think about it. I've certainly never brought it up in a sermon and I've never thought about it and it not affect me to think of what was going on in that moment. And if there's anybody who had any reason to say, you guys are all a bunch of hypocrite idiots, what are you doing, <laughs> right? Like if there's, if there's any moment where he, a person has the right to judge, it's in that moment. And, and there's nothing about what Jesus is doing or saying that says, hey, what you guys are doing is great. When he says, Father, forgive them. They yeah. don't know what they're doing. He, absolutely, it's the wrong thing happening. And yet, because of the love for neighbor, because Jesus actually carries out the things that God says, which is if you love God and you love others, everything will go uh, in the right direction as far as the kingdom is concerned. Yeah. And clearly he had love of God locked up and then he clearly had love of neighbor locked up because he says, hey, right? And so like, like, like think about it. If Jesus had had another response, Jesus said, hey, I, I could actually call down all the angels to get me <laughs> off of here and we could just go ahead and kick some butt, right? Like he says that. If he takes that response, what does the kingdom of God look like? Yeah. What does my salvation and my like eternity with God look like mm. if Jesus decides, you know what? All this love and neighbor stuff is hogwash. <laughs> it's time to, to get mine. And he, and he, he, I mean, he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Mm. Let's just say, and even when Jesus says, you know that I could actually have, make this happen. Let's just say that's a temptation for him. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah. It would be for me. And in the temptation of, I could just call the angels down and we can go ahead and just end this right now. He chooses not and instead chooses the, you know, the second of the greatest commandment, right? Mm. To love my neighbor, my enemy, the ones who are literally crucifying me. I'm going to choose to love them by offering forgiveness. Yeah. And not just offering, but begging for their ransom, begging for their freedom. Yeah, Don't, don't do anything because they just don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, right? Yeah. And it's just not the way most Christians are operating at the moment. I don't expect the political realm, and I don't expect the, the, the people in power, 
I don't expect them to because I, I don't know. I mean, they might say that they're like, I don't know. I guess we can't really just judge them and say they're not Christians. But I'm not worried so much about them. I'm worried more about what are the people in my sphere of influence, in my circle, in my church, in my social media feed. What are they doing? Yeah. And how are they seeing this? And, and, and are they learning from their own pain four years ago, yeah. right? Are the people on the left going to learn from their own pain four years ago? Mm. And maybe the pain throughout an entire presidency to say to, to those on the right, hey, you know what? I was where you were. I see you. I hear you. I'm for you. Yeah. What would that look like? Yeah, it's also worth noting, um, it just came to mind, like when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He doesn't direct that at the people. Mm. He doesn't say, you bunch of fools, you don't know what you're doing, you're mm. deceived. Mm -hmm. But that's often our, like <laughs> even if we can get on board with Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, often our version of that is, oh, you're just deceived. Like you're just fooled. You're, you're just like, you believe this, but it's because you're deceived. And we want to, we want to take that kind of stance on it instead of like taking it to God and saying, God, I, I feel like these people are deceived it, because that's the more humble, like maybe I'm the one that's deceived, you know? Yeah. Like I could very well be the one that's wrong here, but I, I feel and I believe that they're the ones who are. And, and so... So leave that with God. So in other words, um, it's, it's again, it's that passionate thing of like redirected passion. Like my passion is not you people are deceived and I'm out to change you. The passion is, God, I, I feel like there's deception involved here. Would you fix it? You know, mm -hmm. like would you put it on God and not on yourself to fix what you think is wrong with the world? Your job is love your neighbor. Your job is love God, love your neighbor. Take the things that rub you the wrong way to God instead of the people who are doing it. Because if you do that, you're going to, at least, at the very least, you're going to come across as being against them. Like you might not feel like you're against them. You might feel like you're for them and you just want their deception to end, but you're going to come across as being against them. And in their mind, that's what you are. You're against them. Instead of saying, I love my neighbor so much that I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to take this thing that is not a firm, like, this is where God stands on it. You, all you're saying is, I believe this is where God stands on it. And, and you're going to take that and say, you know, like, I, I'm for you, regardless of whether or not our beliefs match, mm -hmm. not regardless of, you know, like your beliefs are right. Like, that's not what you're saying. You're saying our beliefs don't match, but I'm still for you. Right. Instead of saying you're wrong, but I'm still for you. Mm -hmm. You know, like there, I, I feel like there's a major di distinction to be made there. Well, we've already discovered this in our <laughs> podcast. I'm always right. Right. Um, yeah, it's funny because I think of, you know, my, you know, my kids are are teenagers, they're 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, and then even my 12-year-old thinks she's 20. So there's a lot of conversations, there's a lot of and and right now like this is in their face all the time, right? Um and so so I'm having to have conversations with my 16, 17, 18-year-olds that I don't know that I ever anticipated having this early. And at the same time, like trying to help them navigate through some things and then realizing we don't see eye to eye on some of these things, right? And, and maybe it's because of echo chambers. Maybe it's because of, hey, this is what me and my friends have talked about. Or, you know, I saw this thing on social media, right? There's all kinds of reasons. And yet what I find myself doing in those conversations is like there's no question if I'm for them. Like that's just so automatic mm. That the my approach to the conversation is very different. Mm. It I don't I don't get annoyed, angry, frustrated, like like if anything, when their when their thoughts are way different from mine, like it breaks my heart. Like mm. I'm I'm sad. Um and at the same time I'm motivated more than ever to not do anything to like break the relationship. Mm. Like to show I don't love you, right? Sure. 
And so like, because they're my kids, I'm more motivated than ever to make sure that our ability to, to talk about this is, is there and it mm. doesn't ever disappear no matter how different, no matter how much we differ. Right. Mm. And, uh, so since we're just kind of going through this song, um, I, I you know, the next verse, right. Um, in, in this, this song, uh, with propaganda and King's kaleidoscope, um, he says, y'all won't know nothing different unless you learn how to listen. Wow. And see political prisons come down. Mm-hmm. And again, like I think what happens a lot of times is, you know, those two are such a contrast because he says, you're not going to, like, you won't see anything different happen unless you learn to listen. And then he says, and see political prisons come down. You want to know why that's a contrast? Because most people, when they, when they see political prisons come down, and I'm even including myself, when I think of that, I think of the only person in a political prison is the one who thinks differently than me. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so since what I think is you're the one in the political prison, the very first part, nothing's going to change unless you learn to listen. Yeah. Like you don't. Because you're so, you're so convinced that everybody else is in the political prison, not you, right? And then he says, and of course he's talk, when he says our here, he's talking about the, 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 the kind of kingdom of God, the church, the people, right? He says... Uh, and you work against our mission if only self is in vision and in the mirror when enemies come round. And it's like, like, that's it. Like the only time you ever look in the mirror is when the enemy's around, because then what do you see? You see, well, I'm right. Mm. I'm, I'm good. They're the bad ones. Mm. Rather yeah. than looking in the mirror when it's just me mm. and my, my view. Instead, I'm... I'm, I'm always righteous when the enemy's around. I'm always the right one. I'm always the good one, right? Because I, I can point to anybody and say they're worse than me. Yeah. And just take that practical, right? Like, I'm a good husband. Well, yeah, I can always make myself the best husband on the planet <laughs> as compare myself to people who are the, like, not, right? <laughs> but, I, but, if I'm, but if I'm smart and I really want to be a good husband, I look at people that, and I have people that I look up to that are amazing husbands, and I go, man... Like, that's what I want to strive for is that, right? Yeah. It's easy for me to say I'm a great husband and c- compare myself to people who just aren't very good, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, so like this song, I think in general, like, and so for me, I know I've been listening to it a lot and it's been, it's been good for me. But again, like, I just, I think it, it you know, what I love about it is, it is like, I think it speaks to every side and it speaks to the whole situation that, man, if, if we're going to actually like love people the way God has called us to love them. We have to be better at listening and we have to quit comparing ourselves to the, like the worst version of everybody else, like the best version of me and the worst version of everybody else. Because yeah. when I do that, I always win and there's no need for me to change. Totally. Yeah. Let it, let it convict you. You know, that I think we do that with scripture. We do that with spiritual songs, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we take those things and we like often like look at it and be like, Oh, I know somebody like that, you know, instead of like letting it actually convict you, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I hear this song and, and even the one I, I referenced earlier and you know, I mean, most of the time I'm like, Oh, burn, you know, but, but then sometimes it hits me a different way and I'm like, Oh man, that's me though. Mm-hmm. Like that, like I, how often do I give my heart to, to Babylon instead of the kingdom, you know, like burn it all down. Uh, and well, you know, and that made me think of um, maybe part of showing my cards a little bit as a pastor. But I, I felt this way before I was ever like uh, officially a pastor on staff somewhere. Like this is where corporate worship, right, and the instructions God gives about corporate worship in in Scripture is so important and so vital. That, that kind of the last year has, has maybe stolen from people. Mm. That the part of the, the beauty of corporate worship is that we come together and we don't just sing these songs because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. We sing these songs because it's, it's a chance for us to kind of, you know, everything is away from me. I've, I've given up some time. I'm, I'm now here. It's me and God and my community. Mm. To where I can I can lay bare the things and let the song or let the scripture or the sermon or God's presence let it just wreck me mm. if that's what needs to happen. 
And, and then I'm in a place where I can even look at someone and go, man, that song wrecked me. And then what will probably happen, at least in my experience, is that person goes, yeah, me too. And now here's two people like being, you know, open of this is what I'm struggling with. And it all came because a moment of corporate worship that doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen at your desk at work. It, it doesn't happen at, you know, your, your kitchen table typically doing bills or, right, or the dinner table because, you know, you got to sling everybody some food and, you know, by the time you sit down and you actually eat. And so, like, these are those moments in this kind of looking in the mirror and letting it read you, as you're saying, let, let like, really take a deep look at who you are. Like, that's what makes corporate worship done well, so beautiful. Because mm. that's really what should be happening. Yeah. And I think for me, again, just lamenting a little bit over the last year that that, that has been stolen yeah. from a lot of people or even made people feel like it wasn't even that important. Mm. And yet, maybe, just maybe, some of those people are these people we're talking about that like you're not listening and therefore nothing's going to change. And you're just going to think everybody else is, a, is in a prison and you're free, when in reality, we all are subject to having something put us in the prison and and to not really see things for the way they are. So, you know, I guess maybe what we can can say at this point is, if you're listening, go back to church. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you're listening, go back to church. If you're listening, make sure you get there. Because uh, I know for me and I know for Dustin, music and, and, and kind of the worship experience is something that's so powerful. Um, and and it's, it's that much more powerful when everyone in the room is thinking along the same lines of really wanting to pursue Jesus and the truth, right? Uh, so, so if you're listening, go back to church. <laughs> Thanks for joining us in this discussion about the way we see the world. We believe that the kingdom of God is the lens through which the world was meant to be seen. And it's our prayer that wherever you find yourself on the spiritual spectrum, you're able to glean some things from this conversation that cause you to ponder your own lenses. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue the conversation. The music you've heard on this episode is by Katie Ainge, a local Salt Lake City artist who also happens to be a part of our community. You could find these songs and the rest of her music on Spotify. Until next time, peace. In the times, I...